Hey everyone, Pastor Ryan here. So glad to be with all of you. So glad that you're here, that you're watching, that you're worshiping with us today. Today, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be wrapping up our series in the book of Philippians, uh, the series that we've uh, been calling Joy for Today. And this is our last message in this series. It's a series that we really hope has has encouraged you, that it has helped you uh, during this challenging season. I know that um, for me uh, personally, it's, it's really encouraged me. There have been some weekends uh, that have been really challenging for me, uh, placing my my attitude, my heart in check this summer because uh, if I'm being honest with all of you right now, there have been some weekends where I, I really haven't been in the best of, of spaces and I think that some of you can probably identify with me on that. Uh, through all of it though, um, I've just, I've been most grateful just to be reminded each and every weekend uh, of where my source of joy uh, really comes from, that it doesn't come from my circumstances. We're not going to find our joy in our circumstances. We're gonna find our joy in our Savior. And, and today we're gonna see more of that as we look at these last few verses in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so if you do have your Bibles, um, go ahead and grab those and uh, take those out right now. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week and jump right into Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians 4, verse 10. And you can go ahead and follow along with me as I read uh, right now. Paul starts like this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so what, what Paul is, is doing here now is he's wrapping up his letter uh, to the Philippians. Um, he's thanking them for this gift of, of money and supplies that they've sent to him to support him. But notice something really important right off the bat. What Paul is not doing here is he's not rejoicing in the gift because it's the gift itself that brings him the joy. That's not where his joy comes from. His joy, or, or in our case today, his contentment, Contentment, you're gonna to wanna to remember that word. His contentment is not rooted in the response of the Philippians. His contentment is rooted somewhere else. Now, I can't see any of you right now, obviously, uh, but just for fun, let's pretend that I can. And so do me a favor here and play along with me and raise your hand if you'd like to experience more contentment in your life right now. Again, uh, I know I can't see you and, and you might be watching this by yourself in your bedroom, but, but if you want to experience more contentment in your life right now, then raise your hand. And I'm raising mine because I know I do. 
I, I crave more contentment in my life. And I read this survey um, uh, a few days ago uh, of most Americans, and they, they agree. Uh, they want more contentment in their life. A survey conducted by Gallup back in March of 2004 asked Americans where they find their satisfaction, where they find their personal contentment. And in that survey, they asked respondents to, to rate their, their satisfaction, their contentment in a variety of areas of life on a, on a typical one to 10 scale. And what they found was that most Americans were highly satisfied with their, with their families. 62% of respondents said they were highly satisfied there, but only 26% said they were highly satisfied with their careers and, and the paths that their lives were currently on. And, and just, a, just a few 14% said they were highly satisfied with how much money they had or how much money they were, were making. You know, a, a brief look at this um, survey, and you can just tell that our natural disposition, not just not just as Americans, but, but really as human beings. It's one of discontentment. Discontentment is, is our natural state of being. And, and I didn't need a survey to tell me that because, because I have kids. Uh, and when they were little, when they were babies, they had no problem whatsoever telling me that they were discontent. I mean, if they didn't like the food that we gave them, they'd just scream and spit it out. They'd refuse to eat it. They'd throw it on the ground. If they didn't like the toys that were in front of them, or if they liked the toys that were in front of another kid better, they'd fuss and yell, or they'd try to take those toys away from that kid. I mean, we come out of the womb discontent. It's just a, a fact of reality. And listen, that, that, that feeling of discontentment, it rises up in each and every one of us when our desires inside of us go unfulfilled. In other words, our discontentment grows when we give into covetousness. And then covetousness is just a, a fancier way of saying greediness or, or wanting something that we don't have or wanting something that someone else has. And that typically, that typically happens when we are looking at the wrong things. And, and just quickly, here are three places that our eyes can go that can cause the discontentment in our heart to grow. Uh, first of all, discontentment grows when my eyes are on others. Discontentment grows uh, when my eyes are on others. And, and so many of us have experienced this. And we experience this on the daily. Social media is notorious for causing this one to escalate in our hearts. And really, it's not even social media's fault. It's the way our minds and our hearts process what we see on social media. We'll be scrolling through the, the feed and we'll see the highlight reel of, of someone's uh, amazing day at the beach. Or, or we'll read about them talking about how great their job is going or how awesome their kid is. And listen, they have every right to do that. But if we're not careful, instead of celebrating with those individuals, we grow envious. Uh, we, we desire what they have. We covet after what they have. Uh, I, I want that great day at the beach. I want their awesome job. I want their really nice kid. And as we go there, discontentment starts to bubble up in our hearts. You don't even have to be on social media to experience that. You can be looking at your neighbor, at their new car. You can listen to a story from a coworker. Listen, discontentment grows in our hearts when our eyes are on others. Secondly, discontentment grows when our eyes are on, are on my past. Discontentment grows when my eyes are on my past. And you might think that I'm referring to like looking back at your past and maybe some of the, the bad decisions you've made or, or decisions you wished that you would have made. And then that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm referring to because that's regret. And, and, and while, that, while regret can be, well, it can be connected to discontentment, it's, 
It's really, it's not the same thing. What I mean uh, when I talk about looking back at our past is when we long for our past because we believe that it's, that it's better than our present. We look back to our past, to our, to our golden days of life, uh, as we might see it, and we wish that we could be back there. Maybe, maybe then life was easier. Uh, maybe, our, maybe our family hadn't fallen apart yet. Maybe, maybe I was more respected. Maybe my health was in a better place. And we look back at those days and, and we want them back. Do you know what you're doing here? You're covenant. But, but not after another person in real time, not after your coworker or a friend or a neighbor. You're, 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 coveting, you're coveting after your, your past self, your former self. In essence, what you're saying is, I want what I used to have because, because what I have now, it, it's not nearly as good. And if you go there, discontentment, again, it's going to grow in your heart. Discontentment grows in my heart when my eyes are on my past. And, and, and one last thing, discontentment grows when my eyes are on my future. Discontentment grows when my eyes are on my future. You know, many of us, um, we live like our lives are, are, are not really going to be worth living until like a specific thing happens, like when I finally meet that special person or, or, or when I finally save this much money or when I'm able to buy that thing or when I get that job or when I graduate college or when I get that promotion. And and we wait and we wait and we wait and, and we believe the lie that we're going to finally feel this abiding sense of contentment and peace when the things that we're waiting for finally happen. Guess what though? That's a lie and this is still coveting. You know, while your desire for a thing in the future might have been inspired by someone else having that thing, the person you're actually coveting in this scenario is again, yourself. But instead of coveting your past self, you're coveting your future self. In essence, what you're saying here is this, I want what my future self might have. And the key word here is, is might, because these desires are predicated on circumstances that, that have a chance of not happening at all. So not only will discontentment rise up in your heart if your eyes are on your future, anxiety is going to be there as well. It's gonna be a steady companion to the discontentment that's already growing in your heart. It's going to be a total mess. You know, one really important thing that we need to learn right off the bat here is, is that our circumstances can't regulate our satisfaction or our contentment. If we're hoping to find contentment, real lasting contentment, we're not going to, to find it in a, in a person or possession or promotion or profession. We're not, we're not gonna find it in any of those things. Spending time and effort and energy trying to find contentment there is, is, is a total lost cause. And those who have unwisely gone down this path, we know that it doesn't work. It's, it's like trying to quench our thirst drinking water from the ocean. It, it, it looks like water, but it doesn't satisfy like water. But listen, listen to this as well. Discontentment isn't all bad. Discontentment is certainly part of the curse, but discontentment, listen, it's also a gracious clue. It's a merciful gift from God, and here's why. Our discontentment is a constant reminder that contentment actually exists. And it's a pointer to where it can be found. It's a reminder. It's a frustrating but merciful reminder. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. 
The discontentment that, that, that all of us are born with, it's a reminder that contentment exists and it can be found. And this is what the Apostle Paul is showing us today. In Philippians 4, that, that, that real, lasting contentment, listen, it can be found. Not, not, not contentment in some material gift. That's not where Paul found his contentment. But, but, but somewhere else, in, in someone else. Contentment that's not contingent on our situation. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, Paul writes this. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's contentment is not only for when times are tough, for low times of hunger and need. His God-gifted contentment is for the good times as well, for the abundant times of, of, of plenty. And, and here's another encouraging thing. This contentment that, that, that Paul is talking about here, that we see in God's word, it's not some spiritually elusive thing that's only for special spiritual people. And it's also not some sort of personality trait that some people have and others don't. This is actually something you can grow in. It's a kind of skill that we can acquire. Look again at verse 11, what Paul says. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For listen, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Did you, did you see it there, what Paul wrote there? For I have what? For I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Contentment is, is, is something we can learn. It's something we can grow in. In fact, here's our big idea today. It's this. Contentment is not a trait you're born with, but a choice that you make. Let me say that again for anyone who is scrolling through Instagram there and might have missed that. Listen to this. Contentment is not a trait you're born with, but it's a choice you make. And then what we're going to see this morning in, in, in God's word is that getting access to real God-glorifying contentment that lasts is, is possible for everyone. Everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus and who actually wants to go after this and put in the hard work of going after contentment. And this isn't the kind of contentment that you feel after like a good meal or a hard workout or after getting an Amazon package in the mail. Uh, this is something that's, that's way better uh, and, and lasts significantly longer than, than any of those things. And so uh, what I wanna do with the remainder of our time is I just wanna look at, at, at some of these final verses and I wanna unpack a few steps that, that, that I think we have to take in order to access what Paul calls the secret of contentment. And I think he gives us five clues five steps, and, and here's the first one. I must look to Jesus for my strength. I must look to Jesus for my strength. Look at verse 13 again. This is one of the most popular verses in all of scripture. Philippians 4, 13 says this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And right there, we find our first step we must take to access that deep, abiding, long-lasting contentment that Paul's been able to find that satisfied him through times of need and through times of plenty, and it's through Jesus. You know, as we look to Jesus, not to others, not to our past, not to our future, remember, those things increase discontentment. We must keep our eyes vertical on Jesus because we find our strength to be content in him. And this concept, this idea of finding our strength in Jesus, it's, it's not a new one for Paul. We, we see it throughout his writings. You know, Ephesians 6.10 says, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. 
2 Timothy 2.1 says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the what? By the grace that is found where? It's found in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.17 says, the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. Why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know, the the strength that sustained Paul in the midst of hard times and good times, the, the strength he was able to draw upon to preach the gospel, it was found in Jesus as he kept his eyes on Jesus. And so when Paul says here in Philippians 4 that he's learned something, that he knows how to do something, that he has a secret that brings about contentment in the worst and best of times, the first step that I think we see here is that we must be looking to Jesus for our strength. And, and, and this is not a... This is not a strength that's just for success and triumph only. Like this is not a verse that we just lean into and grab onto um, when we're heading out onto the field looking for a big win or going into a, an important meeting. This is, not a, this is not a strength and an all things that's just for victory and, 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 and winning and excellence and touchdowns. No, uh, this is a strength to do all things like, 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 like rejoicing in the Lord even when times are tough. Like, like to be content in him, even in difficult times, even in hard seasons. And maybe even more miraculously, to be able to find our contentment in someone bigger and better than our, than our greatest successes, than our happiest moments. And, and we'll talk about that more at the very end. And, and, and so when you catch yourself looking at others, when you catch yourself looking at your past, at your future, you need to stop yourself. And you need to train the eyes of your heart to stop looking at those things And you need to take this first step. You need to look to Jesus for your strength. Look to him for your strength. And here's the second step I think we see. Um, I must act it out. I must act it out, act it out. What do I mean by that? Well, for this, let's let's go back to verse 11 and let's look at the word that Paul uses for, for the word that we read as content or contentment. Verse 11, let's look there again. Let me read it one more time. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, the Greek word that, that Paul uses here is this word um, autarkes, which is the combination of two smaller Greek words, the first being auto, like automatic, which would be translated literally as like self, and then arcase, which is like archangel, which means rule. And so the word that we see here translated as content literally means self-rule which sounds more worldly, more, more, more stoic than it does Christian, kind of like this idea of if you're feeling low or, or if life's got you down, then, then have some positive thinking, have some command, some control, some self-rule over your life and, and, and rise above it and do it yourself. But that's clearly not what God's word is getting at here. And so then what is being communicated here? Why would Paul use this word right here that's, that's really pulled straight from Greek philosophy? Why would he use this? Well, I think he's using it to further clarify the mystery of the secret of contentment that he's talking about here. This word, this idea, it, we can't understand it outside of the context of what we've just learned, that it's Christ who strengthens us to do all things. But listen, even in those all things that Christ strengthens us to do, there are things we are, that we are still actively doing. In the verses that we've read, Paul, Paul writes things like, um, like, like, I have learned. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I I can do, I I can do what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I do these things, but I am not independent. I am not self-sufficient. It is through Christ that I can do these things. But listen, 
Paul is making it clear that, that he, Paul, is moving, he is operating, he is acting, he is not a passive bystander in all of this. And this is a bit of a mystery. It's, it's part of the secret. One way I've heard it put is, is this, I act the miracle, but, but, but Christ creates it. I act the miracle, but, but Christ creates it. We really do go after this experience of contentment. We are the ones acknowledging that our eyes are straying and coveting after something or someone. Uh, we are the ones that are redirecting them to the Lord. We have active agency in all of that. We act that out, but, but operating in and through and around us is the power and the strength of the Lord and his spirit to accomplish his good work and will in and through us. And so, so I must act it out. It's a bit of a mystery. But let's get a little bit more, speci more specific. What do we act out and how do we act this out? Well, I think that brings us to our third step uh, toward going deeper into this secret of contentment, and that's this. I must learn the lessons. I must learn the lessons. You know, if we look at verses 11 and 12 again, uh, we see that Paul says this real lasting contentment has, that he's come to experience is, is something he actually had to, had to learn. As he looked to Jesus, he was strengthened to actively learn these things. Again, let's look at verses 11 and 12. He says again, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. And here we see that word again, learned, but this is actually a different word in the Greek. Uh, there's one Greek word for learned the secret, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. He says, I've learned the secret uh, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, the same word uh, for learned in verse 11 is actually the one we find in the passage that Pastor Cal taught on last week in verses eight and nine, in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, where, where Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so in our passage today, what Paul's doing is he's just continuing on his thought that we saw last week and what he's modeling in these verses that we've read, that, that, that we are looking at, is, is what he's already called the Philippians to do. And this is a very practical step to accessing real, lasting contentment. It's, it's the mental action of learning the lessons that he's brought to the table for the Philippians. And now by God's grace, we have them for us to pick up and for us to learn them. And so what are these lessons that, that, that we need to learn? Well, they're throughout this letter that we've spent the last 12 weeks looking at. And I'd encourage you to personally dig in and take some time to dig through this letter this week. Take an hour and in your own words, write down some of the lessons that you see that if you learned them, if you truly learned them, they would bring about lasting contentment in your life. You know, I did this and, and here are three of just my favorite, just as examples uh, that I learned. Here's, here's one. Um, God can use setbacks as setups for godly gain. Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul went to prison. That's a total setback. But in Paul's eyes, he could see how God was already using it to set up the advancement of the gospel. Here's another one. My lack of complaining is a sign that I belong to God. Philippians 2.14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. You know, for me personally, circumstances that are uncomfortable or frustrating, they stir up in my heart the desire to complain to others, to complain to friends, to maybe even complain publicly on social media. But a sign that I'm full of God-glorifying contentment and that I'm a child of God is obedience in all things without complaining. And here's, here's one more. The solution to my worry and anxiety is prayer and thankfulness. And I love this one. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so instead of complaining or worrying or fretting, prayer and thankfulness in every situation and in every circumstance, what God's word promises is it's going to release a peace from God that no mental ability and that no medical advancement can produce. And so again, I'd encourage you, do the same thing. Take some time this week to go through Philippians, find the lessons that you need to learn. I mean, there are so many more in this letter. Write them down. In, in, in your own words, write them down in your own words because listen, we need facts. We need truth in our minds from God's word if we're going to find contentment, if we're going to move toward contentment, but we can't stop there. You, you can't stop there because here's the next lesson. I can't simply learn the lessons. I must believe the lessons. I must believe the lessons. Remember in verse 11, we saw, we said that, we saw that Paul said he had learned the lessons, but then we see in verse 12 that he had learned the secret in verse 12, and that's a different word in, in the Greek there. You know, those, 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 Paul, those, those lessons that Paul teaches that can lead to real lasting contentment. Listen, the, the devil, all of his demons, they can see those, they can read about those, they can learn those things, but they won't produce, they won't bring about God-glorifying contentment in their hearts. Why? Um, because there's a secret that they can't access, that they can't learn. Listen, truth alone does not produce the miracle of contentment. It must be believed, it must be cherished, it must be embraced. We have to go further than mere awareness of the truth. We have to see it as more precious than anything in this world because our contentment is not merely threatened by difficult times, by trying times, by times of hunger and by times of need. Our contentment in Christ is also threatened by good times, uh, by times of plenty. And above and beyond learning these lessons as mere facts, we need to cherish them. We need to believe them because these truths, these promises, they've ultimately been secured for us by the blood and by the work of Jesus himself. And that leads us to the last step that we have to take if we're going to find contentment in all circumstances. It's this, I must treasure Jesus above everything. I must treasure Jesus above everything. And now this might sound like a classic Sunday school answer, but listen, until you get in the spot where this lesson becomes a reality in your life, you are not going to experience true and lasting contentment. It's one thing to look to Jesus and not just look to him, but really treasure him and cherish him when life is, when life is hard, when you've been brought low. I mean, I can think of numerous times in my life where I have been humbled by the Lord, when I've been brought low by him, times where the Lord had to do really hard work in my life, but by taking certain things away to show me that, that all I ever really needed was Jesus. And in those moments, uh, those weak moments of need, it was, honestly, it was quite easy to finally come to a place where I treasured Jesus above everything else because I didn't have much else to treasure. I think it's far more difficult to learn the lesson of treasuring Jesus above everything else when life's going well. 
uh, when we're going through a season of plenty, when our needs are met. You know, even now, as inconvenient and as difficult as things are, I think for many of us, we're, we're still doing okay. And I know that's not the case for everyone. I know that some of you are, are out of work and life is difficult and others have had a particularly difficult year this year. But, but listen, I think for a lot of us, our basic needs are met and all things considered, um, things are going fine, pretty good. Even in a season like this one, we have to be on guard not to allow, not to try to find our contentment in our circumstances, but we need to look beyond them to find our contentment in Jesus, the one that we treasure above everything else. Listen, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to get caught up in, in the busyness of life and allow our eyes to get fixed on other people and in wanting what they have. It's easy to grow frustrated with our current circumstances and to look back on our past and want to go back in time to, to when things were better, to when things were easier. It's, it's easy to look to the future and put all of our chips on the hope that, 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 that better days are ahead. But listen, while those are, those are easy things to do, they all lead to discontentment establishing a stronghold in your heart. Remember, Paul, Paul was in prison and, and where? We don't know exactly where he was in prison, but that doesn't matter. It, it didn't matter where he was because his heart, his heart was grounded with a contentment that can't be found in anything here on earth. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, he's this famous Christian writer and theologian from the fourth and fifth century. He's famous for uh, living this really wild and reckless life of indulgence and then finding Jesus. And, and he's also well known for writing uh, one of the most beautiful sentences ever written in my opinion. And he wrote this, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Listen, until we set our eyes upon Jesus and until we move toward him, not just learning, but believing and cherishing the truth that he's given us in his word, uh, truths truth that are really going to stir our hearts toward deeper contentment in him, all of us, we will wander restlessly with discontentment. Remember, contentment is not a trait that you're born with, but it's choice that you make. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your graciousness to us. We thank you that even as we wander and stray after things, Lord, that we think are going to satisfy us, but ultimately won't, that you bring us back. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for going after things that, 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 that just don't satisfy. Forgive us for looking to others and wanting what others have. Forgive us for looking to our past and wanting to to go back to what we had. Forgive us for looking to our future and, and believing that life will only be good when certain things happen. God, we pray that you would help us to look to your son, Jesus Christ, that we would find our strength in him and that we would go after him and that we would take up the truths and promises that we see in your word and that we would really believe them and that we would really cherish them. And God, that you would bless that and you would honor that. And as we do that, that you would cultivate in our hearts a delight in your son, Jesus and that we would find in him true satisfaction and true contentment that'll keep us steady, that'll keep us focused on you when times are bad and when times are good. We pray all of this in his name, amen.